0: All right, UFC Vegas 17 is in the books. The UFC's 2020 is in the books. We have all of the results from Saturday night's last card of 2020 for the Ultimate Fighting Championship and a lot to get to. My name is Luke Thomas. This is my personal YouTube channel. You might know me from CBS Sports as well as Showtime, but this is the Sunday Digest. I think episode four, something like that. Anyway, give a video the thumbs up, hit that subscribe button, the whole nine yards, and let's get to what we know about Saturday night. Okay, so last night when the fights were over, I did an instant reaction of last night's main and co-main event for the Morning Combat channel. Morning Combat, of course, is my podcast and show that I do with Brian Campbell, who is also from CBS Sports. If you want to take a look at that, I'll post it right here. You can uh, check out the card there. Click on it. Please give it a watch. And, as of course, Morning Combat will be tomorrow, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, live at 11 a.m. East. Um, I'm going to save a bunch of stuff for tomorrow. People think that you can't... Uh, Brian, in particular, thinks you can do this and that it will somehow obstruct it when, in fact, um, there's a lot of different things to go around. But I am going to leave some stuff out. I'm not Today, for example, I'm not going to get to the UFC in 2020. I'll save that for morning combat. And there's some other analysis about what the next fights might be for some of these players. Um, again, I will save that for morning combat as well. But I want to get to... Um, one of the reasons why I like doing the Sunday Digest is I give you my instant reaction on... Uh, Saturday night, then on Sunday, I re watch the fights and then I do this podcast. And when I do that, it gives me another sense of appreciation. And then by Monday, I'm able to take some of those impressions, kind of fact check them a little bit, and then think about next steps for Monday. It actually works better for me in terms of ironing out my thought process. But I encourage you to watch my instant reaction from last night to get how I felt right at first. And I think some of you probably felt uh, pretty similar because Jose Aldo looked great, and let's start with Stephen Wonderboy Thompson looking pretty great as well, age 37. Nearly 38 years old, he'll be 38 in February. But for the moment right now, I actually want to go through and talk about how he won. And there was something that occurred to me, it was like, why did Jeff Neal have so much trouble with Wonderboy? And again, in the instant reaction I get to a lot of that, basically you had, I mean, all of the kind of misdirection tricks and again, there shouldn't, we shouldn't call them tricks. We should call them skills. But the uh, you know the, these ability to lateral one way, then go the other, to jab on the exit. You know, if you're wondering you're going, high, low. A lot of times, he was able to maintain the fight at kicking range, and when he wasn't, he would leap in with a punch, or he would you know disguise what he was doing with the punch, use the punch to exit, use the punch to turn, use the punch to turn, then set up another strike. You, you guys know the whole story, but there was another piece of the puzzle there that I just had a hard time figuring out, which is. Why didn't Jeff Neal go for takedowns? Now, you might say, okay, well, part of that has to be that he just had a hard time getting his hands on him. And that was definitely true, especially early on in the fight. As both guys kind of wore down and got more comfortable with where the fight was being contested, that was less of an issue. But, you know, generally speaking, he 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 literally had a hard time getting a hold of him. But even then, you know, why didn't he do more? Now, to be clear, there were times where like Hugh may have been seeking a little bit of it. And Wonderboy's got good takedown defense. It's not going to come automatically. I mean, even Tyron Woodley in his prime, he was able to do it, but he had a hard time with it. So it's not some automatic thing, but like he didn't even try. So I went back and I looked at all the times Jeff Neal has attempted a takedown in the UFC. And the answer is four times. But it's only four times in one fight. So there's only been one fight where he attempted takedowns and the rest he has never attempted. Now he may have like you know uh, fainted with like a level change. Maybe he did some of that, but uh, it was the Nico Price fight. So I went back and I rewatched the Nico Price fight, and in that contest, there are three takedowns that happen one way and one takedown that happens another way. Which is to say, the first takedown, it's relatively early into the first round, they get you know sort of they fight in close quarters, they clinch up, and it's a body lock takedown for Jeff Neal. But the other three times is when, basically, Jeff Neal is getting tagged and doesn't like it. Sometimes pretty badly. You know, a low single he goes for, he chases down a double or something. You know, he was getting hurt pretty bad. And I'm thinking to myself, between Tyron Woodley backing up and letting the fight come to him, as I discussed last night, I'm not saying that's the only way to fight Wonder Boy, but it was good enough for Tyron Woodley over the course of ten rounds. Well, you can say it was boring, but you know, better to be boring and get your hand raised than not. So there's that. Between that and then realizing um, that you know, your chances of chasing down a takedown are going to be really kind of hard. And that if you could at least credibly level change like, you know, as, a, as a fake or a feint, your chances of you know, landing on your feet would have been better. I mean, two of the mysteries around fighting Wonderboy that I can never quite understand is, except for Tyron Woodley who did it well, well at least on one account, is level changing, either going for takedowns or at a bare minimum level changing to um, you know, establish a threat where you know Wonderboy, now his hands are always low, but he has to worry about you might be doing that. And then the other piece is kicking out the legs. And we discussed kicking out the legs last night. My friend Michael Stets had brought up. The uh, Raymond Daniels versus uh, uh, Bazooka Joe Valtellini fight. I'll put that in the description box below, so you can take a look at it. But just on the on the wrestling, because I don't want to repeat the we went over last night. Um, I I don't know. I don't know what was up with that. Did he have an injury? Did it not occur to him? Did he not think he could ever get close enough? When he got close enough, was it a choice of like, well, I could spend energy trying to control this guy, or you know, Jeff Neal's got serious pop, right? He can. He can, throw the, he can throw hammers. Was it a, just a call where you wanted to do that and you thought that might be your best course of action? You know, all things being equal. Like, I'm already down at this point. Let me just see if I can let the hands go and, and see what we can do with that. Maybe that's it. It was just kind of odd. It's like, dude, if you let Wonder Boy roam in space and mostly, but not entirely, but you know, more or less dictate range. He's going to be a hard guy to beat, man. He's going to be a very hard guy to beat. He can blitz with his punches. He's got great lateral movement. He can juke side to side. He can, he can turn on angles. He can turn on angles through punches and then add that to combination. Obviously, he's got spinning attacks. I mean, he's just you, you, on some level, you have to crowd him either by either getting in his face... Or letting him come to you, but he can't do much at the distance at which he's trying to operate by virtue of some of the threats you're setting up. Or he just won't be able to move because you smashed his legs. But just trying to, like, I'm going to march the guy down and box him, it, it does. you have to be very special to do that. And Jeff Neal, I think, certainly still has room to grow as a fighter. I want to be very clear about that. But as it related to last night, quite obviously was not up to that particular task. It's just strange. If you fight a guy this unorthodox, you know, you got to ask yourself how... how, And it's not like there's not a lot of tape on the guy. I mean, there's a lot of tape. He responds to real credible threats. You know, if you can credibly take him down or at least make him worried about it and get those feints going, um, he will react to it. We talked about the numbers in the Woodley fight. They were all way down. Like, his overall output was super low because he was afraid of what Woodley could do, you know? And again, you could say it was boring, but okay... You know, Woodley nearly finished him in the first and nearly stopped him in the second in the fifth round. So the second fight, I should say. So just sort of a baffling game plan. I mean, it's one thing to be like folks are like, well, why didn't Jeff Neal just change game plans? Well, I'm saying it's baffling in the sense of ahead of time. Some of these factors appear to be knowable, and it should be noted his coach, who is just a tremendous, tremendous coach, Saif Saoud out of Fortis MMA, was not there with him. Who knows how big their bond is and the kind of instructions that they're capable of giving. I mean, there's a lot of factors that go into winning and losing at the highest level, and razor-thin margins can end up making a big difference in the end. So I guess we'll have to see when it comes to that. But, like, if you knew that was what some of the tasks were to at least give yourself the best chance, well, that's one thing. But if you didn't know that, it's going to be hard to pivot to that in the fight. I mean, the real challenge in a fight would be if you knew what it was to uh, make him respect what you were trying to do and then he had another answer that there was no way you could have anticipated having uh, or having to think about, well, then that's when you're really in trouble. But, like, you didn't get to... To me, it looked like he did not get to a knowable way in which to fight Wonderboy, and that is the part that I just... I'm having a little hard time wrapping my head around. I I don't know what explains it, but certainly there was something missing there. We go to the co-main event. Jose Aldo winning 29-28 across the board. Last night I was a little bit, uh, not skeptical, but I didn't quite understand. Again, because I'm sort of like live tweeting and doing other things when the fight's going on, so sometimes I can miss things. Um, I didn't understand how Cheeto had won the second round. Upon review, uh, it's a little bit more knowable. It's, you know, I can understand it at this point, but I want to go through Aldo and I wanted to see like, you know, what was it that explained how he did so well? And I have to tell you, man, what a performance of Jose Aldo. You know, this is something I I was very impressed. I was very impressed. As I said last night, I think he's making the cut to 135 easier and easier, right? He's getting into a rhythm. not saying it's easy, but relative to how it may have been in the Marlon Morris fight, he looked a lot better. I think the other thing I was trying to think about was like, how did he, like, what were the weapons he was throwing and, um, like, how do you beat Aldo? What's, we talked about this last night with Wonderboy. Let's talk about it now with Aldo. What are, what are the things you can say can beat him? The McGregor fight, you know, I I don't know how much you can take from that, except McGregor has great timing and great accuracy and great punching power, but the fight was 13 seconds. It's just, there's just not a lot there to look over. Okay, so I don't want you to discard it, it counts, but it's not the best way to examine the totality of somebody's weaknesses. So what are some of the other ones? Well, you can go to the two Max fights, and you can go to the Volkanovsky fight. I think those are really quite telling. Peter Jan fight, um, I'm not going to say it's distinct from those two, but I think those two together help explain a lot. So let me explain what I mean by that. If you're Max Holloway, how did you beat Aldo, right? Okay. Aldo um, doesn't move a lot. He moves his hands a lot and he moves his shoulders a lot and his trunk a little bit. My God, his slipping is still so good. Just sort of slightly getting out of the way of punches, you know. And then he can, he can roll and then turn at the same time. I mean, he's still got just fantastic athleticism even at uh, his relatively advanced age. But, you know, what was the way to beat him? What Max basically did was he circled into him one way from one stance and circled into him from a different way. I think with a similar stance, but then he would change it up a little bit. But the key was he would press into him with the jab. Now, why is that relevant? Well, one, you're setting the tone for the attack. Two, you're setting up all of the other things that come behind your jab. Three, you're turning Aldo. Max was constantly turning Aldo. One direction the first fight, a separate direction the second fight. Working behind the jab and then setting up everything else. And you have to understand something about Jose, as I mentioned... He's kind of flat-footed. How did he get stopped in the first one? Max threw a combo. Aldo got out of the way and then came back and then just stood there. He didn't move his feet at all. Not only moved his waist, just his shoulders and his head. And so when he came to back to center, Max threw it again and dropped him with the one-two. And then from there, you know, pounded him out. But it was working behind the jab, turning the guy, right? that kind of a thing. Here you had Marlon giving, essentially, Aldo free reign. He was able to just sort of pick and choose what he wanted to do: left hook to the body, right leg kick, jab to the body, fake upstairs, jab to the body, fake low, come back up high. You know, he had the pick of the litter basically. And there was times where you saw Cheeto having a good like. Cheeto's attempted to take down in the first round, that was good timing on that. Uh, it didn't go anywhere because Aldo has just unbelievable takedown defense. But like, was the timing good? Yes, timing was very good by Cheeto. Cheeto's a good fighter, man. He's a good fighter. Um... But Aldo's takedown defense was just phenomenal. But just, I'm just sort of pointing out, some of these guys, man, you got to really, you, you just can't, like, with a guy like Aldo has a totally different style than Wonderboy. But if there's one common denominator is you cannot let those guys sit in space. You have to take that away from them. You have to make them move in space or, in the case of Wonderboy, really remove that uh, if you want to have any success at all. To the extent that they can roam, is to the extent they can set up their shots. And to the extent they can set up their shots, you know, more often than not, they're going to have some success. The Volkanovsky fight was quite different. The Volkanovsky fight was there's was a lot of angles and turning, not exactly in sort of the overall volume of things and the way that Max was doing. Because those were five round fights. Both of them stopped, I think, inside the third, but still, you know, they, were, they were set up to be longer affairs. But the key there is um, if you look at what Volkanovsky did, right? He's constantly doing all kinds of different looks. He's showing you different looks. He's faking, he's fainting, he's angle changing, he's going high-low, he's going side-to-side, side, and then he throws and lands, sometimes in combination, sometimes not, and then he is gone, right? Max was a little bit, he was turning, but a little bit more kind of right in front of Aldo, and so there's a little bit more of a give-and-take there. So that's another way to beat Aldo, if you can mimic that kind of thing to a degree of what Volkanovski did. If you can go high-low, side-to-side, faking, faking, changing, changing, turning angles, constantly going, land, and go. And a lot of that aided by, of course, the distance at which the leg kick was measured. If you can do that, or you're freezing Aldo and he can't make a call, and then you can land and go, that's another one. But you didn't see really either of those approaches, I thought, from Vera. You didn't see him really beginning to get Aldo to turn, to follow him, or to back him up in any kind of real significant, meaningful way. And then, especially on the third, when he, when Aldo had his back. And then in the case of the Volkanovski fight, uh, you just didn't see Vera really sort of mimicking enough of the activity to get Aldo to... to, to I, mean, the, I mean, I'm not really going to get into it here, but Callum Smith last night with uh, Canelo, he didn't really have much for Canelo... But the best he ever did against Canelo was when he was throwing more activity, when he could just sort of jab, jab, left hook to the body, you know, stick the right hand, change an angle, go again. When he could just sort of constantly be in motion, constantly doing things, it wasn't enough to win. But when did he do better? When he was doing that or not? Pretty clearly, when he was doing that. So, so that's I think was a big key that was missing um, from from Vera. He didn't have either of those approaches. He was just kind of sort of waiting to see what opportunities would open up with what. I don't know he normally did or what he thought might be the best for himself, but it's really never it's, I mean, I won't say never, I'm not a coach, but I often just think about when you fight a guy with this much tape on him, I mean, Jose Aldo has a ton of tape on him. Wonder boy, not as much, but pretty, pretty significant amount. What you, you, you can begin to put together a, a composite picture of what are the conditions under which they thrive and what are the conditions under which they don't thrive. And yes, you want to be true to your own skills, but I think the question to ask is through what you do well, how can we take that put it into a game plan where we take away the conditions under which they do well? you know sometimes that's hard to know you could have a new opponent they might be able to do a lot of different things um, you know they, they 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 might have a weird game plan time to time there's a certain bit of unpredictability to them and there's unpredictability to both these guys as well. I don't want to say that the book is entirely written, but I didn't feel like that question got asked enough by the challengers in Jeff Neal and Jose Aldo. All right, let's go through some of these other results. I want to skip through some of them that aren't important to get to some of y'all, y'all's big takeaways. Um, but let's start here real quickly. Michelle Pereira fighting Chaos Williams. He got the nod. I thought Williams had done enough to win. Pereira sort of dialing back a lot of the things that made him interesting to be still quite athletic, but kind of, you know, one note. With it, but he gets the job done against Chaos Williams, who again I thought was doing the better punching power um, and was sort of counterfighting, but in my in my view more effectively. But you know, hard to really be too upset at the loss. Um, the one that is much more interesting is Rob Font defeating Marlon Mireix at three forty seven of the first round. Man, I do not. Here's what I'll say: There's a lot to say about Rob Font. Really, the focus should be on him. This is the win in his career he's been waiting for. You know, went the distance with Rafael Sunso, went the distance with Lineker, couldn't quite get it done. Had, obviously, a tough fight against Pedro Munoz where he lost. But he's always been like, you watch him fight, and you're like, man, he moves like the elite guys. He doesn't quite ha- you know, up, up before yesterday, you're like, well, he doesn't quite have the wins to say um, he deserves to be put alongside them. Because, you know, as much as you might respect someone's ability in terms of what the tape shows, they got, they got to get the Ws. And he had some good wins. He had some really good wins, but he didn't have any like really signature wins. Okay, well now he does, and it came relatively easily. Quite candidly, maybe it one of his easier fights in the UFC. Honestly, um, so it's great. It's it's really a, a wonderful thing for him. Um, you know, a, a nice guy. Uh, the guy loves golfing. I mean, he really, you know, is a sort of a ordinary guy, and I say that as a compliment, not not as a uh, pejorative. Um, but Marlon Marais, we'll talk more about this on Morning Combat, but it just feels to me like he's just been on a skid since the Cejudo fight. Once Cejudo began to march him down, the fight was over for him there. He beats Aldo, but it was very controversial. And Aldo, you know, sort of picked up on all those things too. Uh, and then you had the Sandhagen uh, fight. No, actually, I think I'm skipping one here. I want to make sure I, I don't skip all of them. Oh, excuse me, it was the Sandhagen fight where he got, you know, Sanhagen fights in his own way, but I think picked up on some of the elements about pressure and, you know, moving into the guy. And then Rob Font does some of the same things. I mean, you know, you had Maurice coming out wrestling, which I thought was, you know, best call, I don't know. But worst call, definitely not. Like, you have been kind of getting tuned up in your last few fights a little bit. Even when you won against Aldo, you got rocked several times. And... You know, Rob Font can thump, and he's technical, and he's accurate, and he's good. He's very good. So wrestle the guy a little bit. I actually didn't think that was the worst game plan. It just went from zero to 60 the instant it got off the uh, the mat. I couldn't. It was like, you know, here's my sense about what he needs, and this is, you know, just one guy's opinion, so take that for what it is worth, but he needs, I think, to rethink how he wants to fight, which isn't to say to change up everything, but I would recommend a major... Um, alteration in the kind of guys he's fighting, a major dialing of it back, and really reconsider what he needs to do to take away the weakness of of being pressured. Because he just doesn't have an answer for it, and it looks like the division has figured him out. Right? I mean, this is the sort of thing. You can be who you are, and you'll peak, and then your own ability will degrade from the level at which you were good. Or the game can catch up to you. And sometimes those can happen at equal speeds or different ones. But, like, is he actually worse than he was when he fought Jimmy Rivera? Maybe. I I am more of the belief that everyone has a much better understanding of what he responds to and doesn't. And so there's a lot of rethinking that has to go into how he is fighting. And that can't happen unless you take a major step back so you can take a step forward. How about Greg Hardy against Marcin Taibora? Loses in the second round at 431. Uh, you know, I got torched on Twitter because people lack reading comprehension skills. But the first round, the first round of the fight, obviously the second round is <laughs> very different, which we'll get to in a second. But that first round, dude, Hardy looked awesome. I mean, he was, he had great timing, accurate punching. He was piecing Marcin Tibora up. He knew exactly what he wanted to do. He was in, he was in a flow state, picking his shots, all of them landing. Marching Tabora. if that fight had stayed on the feet, was going to get finished. If not in that round, obviously, because he made it out. But second or third, I think if the fight had stayed the way it was going, Hardy would have done it. And Hardy looked great, dude. I mean, I I have been... Early on in his development, I was kind of impressed. And then he kind of bottomed out. And I was like, well, he just seems very average, almost. I mean, better than average. Average is not quite the right word. But not... Certainly not spectacular. And... He got better, and he 's sort of getting better, but he never really seems to like dazzle you with anything and Here I thought, okay, well, now he 's putting it together in the first round anyway, and I was like, dude, that is the best he 's ever looked in that first round. I really believe that he's beaten other guys and and stopped them, but in terms of like against you know Martin Tabor as a credentialed uFC heavyweight against credentialed opposition, he hasn 't looked that good before, uh, and so I thought, wow, okay man he 's really putting it together, and then in the second round, Jesus now. Martin Tabora takes him down and did hit him in the back of the head a bunch of times. I don't know how much of those played a role. You know, this was in Vegas. You guys both know that the, the commission there doesn't give a fuck about the fighters. So even if you feel like Hardy is entitled to some kind of change as a result, uh, as relates to the outcome, given the referee not doing his job, maybe that's. I'm not saying that's an opinion you have to hold, but maybe some of you do, I wouldn't hold your breath. You know, the commission's not going to do a fucking thing about it, no matter how justified or not. The case might be so; it's just going to stand, and that's just the way that it's going to be. So, what else can you glean from that? Well, you know, did they have a huge effect? The shots to the back of the head, maybe. But here's what it looks like to me: learning the ground game. People, people think you can just spend time doing it, and it will eventually happen. Like all you got to do is wait out the clock. Man, that's not how it works. I mean, this is not quite right. This is not exactly the right comparison, but I just it, it is illustrative of kind of what people are up against. Saying that, like, oh, if you just put in the time to get a ground game, you'll get a good ground game. It's sort of like saying, if you just train long enough, you'll eventually be really fast. Well, no, not necessarily. I mean, dude, there are people who train their whole lives and never get that great on the ground. They get better than what they were, but it's not a it's not a foregone conclusion. You can't just train on the ground and magically you'll be black belt in five years or you know maybe even ten years you know, because it took a little time. You can train ten years and never get even get to purple. I mean, you know, it, it's not it's not automatic. And even if you get to purple, like, dude, you know, you're not it, like, what kind of purple belt takes ten years to get there? I mean, this is what I'm trying to make. There is a major discrepancy in his ability on the ground versus standing up. Standing up, dude, he looked good. There's just no denying it. You can like Greg Hardy or you can hate him, but he looked good standing up. On the ground, he looked terrible, terrible. Wrestling, when you're that big, is difficult. Learning how to move around physically is difficult. It's, a, it's like trying to learn French at age 50, man. You, know, you can learn languages when your body and your mind has an aptitude for it, which is typically around five years old or so. Or obviously, if you grow up with a language, you're going to be speaking it pretty well um, from day one. But you know, if you want to learn a second one, aptitude begins around that time. And, um, and then you begin to develop and grow with it. But once you've reached a certain age, it's much, you can learn a language at 50, but it's much... Much, 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 much harder. You know, being heavyweight is kind of like that. They're trying to teach this guy French, and he's 50. It's just going to be a long, slow process. And I don't even know how he's training. I don't know what kind of effort he's putting in. It, he looked dreadful on the ground. I mean, he looked regional MMA level bad on the ground. On the feet, he looked very good for the heavyweight division. And so there's a major, major, major discrepancy between what he can show in those two dimensions. But now that, like, you know, sort of the more numerous thing, it's like now that the secret is out, like, why would you box up Greg Hardy? I mean, I guess it will depend on who they match him up against, but, you know, if they give him anybody who has any wrestling sense at all, this is a very straightforward call on how you fight this guy, and he has no awareness on the ground of what to do, how to stop it, how to down block, nothing. It was terrible. Really, really bad. Okay, uh, on your prelim card, Anthony Petis, uh, pet, excuse me, defeating Alex Morino, 29-28. Uh, Loved Moreno coming out with the white right game plan, dude. You know, take Pettis by storm, show him no respect, get out there, mug him up a little bit, give him the beat down at 170 pounds, and um, and Morneau did that. You know, I thought it was a smart game plan, but he couldn't do it in the second, and he damn sure couldn't do it in the third. So it was clever. Like, that was the right game plan, right? Unlike Jeff Neal, who I, I thought did not have the right game plan from the word go, uh, Alex did. I, I thought he did. It's just he couldn't hold on to it. And then he, he was no longer able to transition to a second kind of game plan that got him to a different place. Now, there's more to say about Pettis, which we'll say for more in combat. Um, but 170, fights out his UFC contract. You know, the head kick, the 10-year anniversary of the head kick. He had one here in this fight, nearly won it. His ability to, like, reverse on top is just so next level. He had a, 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 a knee-tap takedown. He looked good. Uh, Panny Kianzad defeating Sajara Eubanks. Great fight. Sejara Eubanks looked really good in this one. Uh, Penny Keon man, she is somebody who I've been watching for quite some time. I don't want to say she was a bad fighter before because I don't think that's fair, but I, I just want to be clear that the level to which she has improved is remarkable. She should be very proud of herself. Her team should be very proud of herself. As I, you heard them talking about last night, she has a very competent, educated, quick guard. She understands the stand-up game. Her range management is so much better. Um her round management is good. I thought she was really good about getting off the fence when she needed to, especially in the second and third rounds. First round, not so much, obviously. But, you know, in the second uh, in the in the third parts of that fight, she was able to do it. That was a really good performance from her. And a little bit of a gut-check performance, too, where she was able to show, you know, she wanted it a little bit more. She was willing to put a little bit more on it. You know, Sarge Banks has a phenomenal ground game, and she can thump. But Pandy Keon Zod, I thought, skills win fights, and she appeared to be the more well-rounded of the two. Duran Wynn fighting Antonio Ahoyo. Michael Bisping was fucking hilarious during this fight. Talking about how both of them need to ask Santa for a treadmill. I mean, what do you want to say? Duran Wynn can wrestle his ass off and Ahoyo is huge and can strike, but that's really where the beginning and the end of the story is. Not much to say about it. Um, uh, Tyler Santos, Talia Santos, defeating Jillian Robertson, 30-26, and then 29-28, which is kind of a weird scorecard, but Whatever. Basically just better everywhere, stronger, better athlete, better on the ground. You know, Robertson's sort of home and the place she can retreat to typically is the ground, and she couldn't hear, and that was obviously a huge problem. Uh, dude, how about this uh, prospect? Tafan uh, Chukwe, Chukwe I'm, I'm sure I'm mispronouncing his name, so please forgive me, taking on Jamie Pickett, thirty twenty five and then two 30, 26s. Now, Tafan Chukwe looks like... Um, I think he transited a team Lloyd Irvin in Camp Springs, Maryland. He's from Cameroon originally. Uh, I, I, I think he has been in the country a long time. He, he has a native accent. He's not. It doesn't sound like Francis Ngannou. But, um, I well, how would you describe the guy? You know, sort of got like a, a running back's body, a, a running back's build in a middleweight frame. You know, like he has just he's just thick, bro. I mean, the dude is muscled up. He's got traps from his you know, his neck to the sky. And there are some cardio issues. I thought the co- commentary was a little bit overstated on that way. But, you know, did he have quite as much uh, zip and pop in the 30s as he did the first? I thought it was a little bit of a downgrade. You know, obviously something that's to be understandable, but a little bit more than that maybe. But, dude, here's what I noticed from him. This was, that was his, what, his fifth fight. That was great experience for him to get the three rounds. And then on top of it, man... He has good fight IQ. Like you can tell that dude's smart. He was making good decisions. He constantly had real discipline about certain positions. Like he was in the clinch, he was always framing. He was always looking for a shot on the clinch break. You know what I mean? Like just constantly you could see it had been drilled into his head and he knew to go to it and he makes it look effortless because he is so disciplined in that way. So, listen, there was a couple choices you were like, "Why didn't he do this? Why didn't he do that?" Well, the guy's a prospect. He doesn't have a lot of experience. It takes fighting as a skill. And it takes time to learn it, but keep your eye on Tefan Chukwe. Chukwe? I think again, I think that's how you pronounce his name. Keep your eye on that guy. He is he is smart and he is talented. He might be going places. We'll see. Very, very, very early, but certainly one to watch. Uh, Jimmy Flick hits a head kick. The guy catches it, so he goes for a flying triangle over Cody Durden. Just an unbelievable flying triangle. I think the third one in UFC history, by the way. And then Christos Giagos fighting Carlton minus or minus, however you pronounce it. Uh you know, terrible fight. I don't care about it. Uh, there was no fight of the night. There was a couple of performances of the night. Steven Thompson got one. Rob Font got one. Marching Tibora got one. And Jimmy Flick got one. Now, I asked for your big takeaways. What was the biggest takeaway that you guys had from Saturday? It could be on the main event, co-main event, anything else. Uh, I picked out some of the best ones. Let's read some on air. Here's one from Brian. My biggest takeaway was the downfall of Marlon Morice. A year and a half ago, he was the scariest dude in the Bantamweight division. Now he's lost three of his last four, and it's on a quick downslide. Are we seeing another Henn and burau scenario with Marais? As I mentioned, there's more to get to with this with uh, Morning Combat, but just about the Henn and barral comparisons, I don't think so. Barral took like a prolonged kind of beating against Dillashaw, and there were a lot of USADA accusations. I mean, you can see what you want about Marlon. He still looks absolutely shredded since there's no change in his physique. Whatsoever, um, you know the losses he's taken were bad. He did get stopped against Saudo. He did get stopped against Sanhagen. He got rocked a little bit. Maybe it's in his head. In other words, like there's it's one for thing for it to be in your head where you're just afraid of certain outcomes or you can't you know have the courage you once did the athletic courage um, because you're worried about some of the consequences that come with it. That's different than just your body being a little bit broken. Um, I don't think we're that far along in this. I think it might be more of a sports psychology issue than anything else, but also that his game might need some retooling along with it. How do you feel about a move to 185 for Thompson? He's got Windsor Whitaker until arguably, and if it was a lifetime ago, seems a clear path to the title for me. Well, maybe. I mean, he was five yesterday and he won. Now, he beat a guy who wasn't anywhere close to five in terms of the rankings, but... It's like, dude, he's not that far from a title shot, and I don't know if I like his chances against Komaru necessarily or the winner of Komaru versus Gilbert Burns, but at the same time, and you're that high up, I mean, you you need to do it when you're sort of reeling in the division, struggling. Wonderboy Boy ain't struggling. Jaden says, in three-round fights, Aldo is going to be an extremely, dif- uh, excuse me, an extremely difficult out for anybody in that division. That's true, man. Five-round fights, he might really slow to the point he becomes a little bit more susceptible. That cut, I think he is making it better and better, but it's still a pretty big cut. And he does have some miles on him. But for three rounds, dude, you can't make a whole lot of mistakes. That's why Volkanovsky's win is actually, in some ways, um, it's it wasn't as impressive as Max's, because Max got it inside the three-round distance, even though it was a five-round fight. But all Alex had to work with was 15 minutes. Like If you didn't get it done in there, you were just screwed. And he did. He got it done, no problem. I think he won 29-28 for the most part. But the two rounds he won we pretty clear. My biggest takeaway, this comes to us from Josh, is that the UFC had a really solid year, all things considered. I know that Dana White drew our ire for how he dealt with and viewed the coronavirus, but if you remove that foolishness, they ran weekly shows for nearly half a year relatively unfettered. Pretty incredible. Yeah, I would have to agree. Again, we'll get to more of this, I think, before the end of the year and then a little bit after it. But the UFC had a strong start to the 2020 campaign before the coronavirus, had a huge misstep early, But then had a huge correction, and they were just off and running after that. And I think, you know, there's still some things that have to be figured out in terms of protocol before the uh, the vaccine can, you know, reorder society if that's what it all can do. But in general, you really have to say the UFC found a way to not only stay in business but to thrive. Keith writes: Aldo has uh, been uh, has now beaten top ten ranked opponents in three different decades at a lower weight class. You and Brian have been hesitant to put him in the upper tier of all-time greats, but this might be a good time to reevaluate that and look at his resume and skills across generations and weight classes. Yes, certainly the fact that he has reinvented himself at weight when I did not think it was possible, and given that he's beating incredible talent there, um, yep, it is worthy of Again, you might already have him in that space, but for the folks like us who have kind of had him on the bubble, it does make us re- rethink some things. And then last but not least, Dennis writes, Just how rare is it to see someone from karate or any other specialized striking background to achieve such staying power in the upper echelon of the UFC? The way he dominates, it almost seems like his stance and footwork should be more common practice in the UFC. Is that hard to recreate? And if his style can be recreated, how well do you think incorporating takedowns would add or subtract from it? Um... Again, I think the takedowns could be incorporated relatively sparingly, but carefully, and that could make a big difference. Certainly his takedown defense is pretty good. But you're asking like why a lot of people don't learn this way. It's like, one, you, again, this is something you have to learn, I think, at a relatively early age. Two, again, I put it in the description box. Raymond Daniels got torched by Joseph Valtellini with a leg kicking. Uh, in fact, I think that Valtellini has a... Uh, a, a video on his YouTube channel talking about how this is how you beat Wonder Boy, and no one's really followed it yet. So, like, every style has a strength, and every style, a set of strengths, I should say, and every style has a set of weaknesses. And part of what he is benefiting from is that folks just don't properly consider what it might take to beat him. But in more traditional forms of kickboxing, they have, um, and there are a lot of answers to it. So, what I would say is, um, you know, taking some of the best elements from it, taking some of the lessons about range management, about how to juke, Right, about how to go high, low and mix things up and do it with the kind of balls of your feet, you know, learning how learning those skills could only benefit you. Building a style around it, I think, is a lot more labor intensive, takes a lot longer of a time. And if you're not, if you just don't have some of the otherworldly movement and ability to get out of the way, and it's really kind of an athletic skill too, not everyone's gonna have that. They're gonna be a little bit flat-footed, they're not gonna have their dancing shoes on. It's not for everyone. So it's going to be a great skill set for the right kinds of guys. It's a great skill set to have right now, given the opposition don't seem to be really aware of how to beat it. But I don't think it's the blueprint for what ails MMA. And that's it. We're done for the Sunday Digest. Uh, Give the video a thumbs up. Hit that subscribe button. Um, We'll talk more about the Callum, Smith, and Canelo fight tomorrow on MK, 11 a.m., live in the east. We're here on the week of Christmas, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, we are going to have some Christmas Day content for you on this here channel. So uh, a little present that you can open up on Christmas morning and you can play on your tablets and TVs and phones and whatever else you get. Okay. Um, Very good. I appreciate everyone taking the time to watch and or listen, depending on how you got it. Thank you guys so much. See you tomorrow on MK. And until then, enjoy the fights.